another episode of Wizards After Dark. This time, I'm in Philadelphia. I'm Fred Cass. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and I am the host of Wizards After Dark, recording this one in Philly from the Wells Fargo Center, following the 76ers' 132-115 win over the Wizards. We are at the exact halfway point of the season for the Wizards, and they're 16-25, three out of the eighth seed, uh, three and a half out of the eighth seed, Three back in the loss column of the currently eighth-seeded Brooklyn Nets. I'm here with Derek Bodner, also of The Athletic. What's up? How you doing? How much? I am uh, I'm lovely. I, I, I had the opportunity to uh, watch the Wizards go up 14-4 to and then see, see whatever, like, it is crazy that the Wizards led by double digits in this game. It is just wild. There was a I know at one point the run was fifty four to twenty four. <laughs> and I just kind of lost count after that. Yeah, I mean you guys the Wizards came out and they made like four of five from three right from the jump. Sixers if they have one main weakness it's defending on the perimeter. And you just wondered with you know, the Sixers kind of in this a little bit of a lull in their schedule until they get to a real tough part at the end of the month, whether or not maybe they overlooked a game. Well, they didn't come out with the defensive intensity. Their lineup's been shuffled a little bit here with some injuries. But they turned it around pretty quickly there after that timeout, going into the second half of the first quarter and then throughout. Um, but it was it was a pretty incredible start. And then I think the Sixers outscored them like 46 to like 18 or something over the next quarter and a half and, and really took control. Yeah, they destroyed. I mean, the, the final was a 17-point game. It, the, the Sixers led by as many as, what was it, 31? Yeah. 31, yeah. I mean, it, was, it wasn't even close during that run. Like, they just continually got to the paint. It was unbelievable. Yeah. the way, And it, it was it was on drives. It was on dump-offs to Embiid. They, they got killed. The Wizards did on the boards. I mean, the Sixers grabbed, like, almost 60% of available rebounds, I think, in this one. Like, they just destroyed them in every single way that you could possibly imagine on in the paint and I mean that's not a shocker because Joel Embiid exists and the Wizards centers for the most part don't exist beyond Thomas Bryant uh, but like man they just it wasn't just Embiid like Embiid is great obviously but guys were getting the lane they were getting out in transition and they were having mismatches and because of that they were using that once they got out in the secondary break to get to the rim and it was just like over and over and over again they were getting to the paint, and that was how they were creating so much stuff. And then Landry Shamrock decided to become the best player in the NBA, and it was just like, man, it was just all 76ers. Yeah, and it's, I mean, this is a, a team where at times they can have some, there's a lot of consternation over their offense and their spacing and how the, the Sixers' three big stars are going to work. And since the Jimmy Butler trade, I believe they're fifth or sixth in the league offensively. So there's... Some nights where they can look clunky and where a team like, let's say, Boston or Toronto can throw, A, somebody on Ben Simmons who can stop him and match his size and speed and physicality, and B, have sort of a depth of defenders who can switch and cut off their half-court and transition play, then it can, then the spacing can become a concern. But against a team like Washington, who not only they can dominate on the glass, I mean, the Sixers had like 14 offensive rebounds. They only missed maybe like 40 shots. They didn't have all that many opportunities, and he still dominated in that manner. But, and against a team like Washington, you know, Ben Simmons could search out a mismatch in the post. Jimmy Butler could post up. They could run pick and roll. And like you said, they were getting into the paint and setting up either paint scores, which Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons both got, or driving kicks. And, you know, they needed a Landry Shamit to step up in J.J. Reddick's absence. He plays very similar to Reddick. They use him very similarly. 
and he just ran off a lot of the same actions, a lot of the same movements, and got the kind of shots that, that Reddick would normally get, and he he drilled them tonight. Shaman's impressive, man. Like, yeah, he hit eight threes tonight. He had a career-high 29 points in 24 minutes, and he hit a career-high eight threes. He was eight for 14 from beyond the arc. But the thing that's honestly so impressive to him about uh, – uh, so impressive about him to me is more just that it's not it's not the made shots and it's it's not his ability to every once in a while blow up and hit all these threes. It's that he reads the game so well for a rookie. Like you talk about how he played like JJ Redick. It took JJ Redick a long time to be able to play like JJ Redick. Like when he first comes into the league, he's not able to run off those screens and that kind of stuff to the effectiveness that he does today. And granted, it was a different league and JJ Redick is a different player and a different person, but like rookies for the most part you see shades of this stuff, but he's pretty consistently good at finding space. And, like, he doesn't, like, just go where the play tells him to go either. He's pretty good at adjusting and finding space in a defense and getting himself open. And, like, man, that's an amazing skill for a rookie to have. Like, he's 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 going to be, a like, a good contributor for them. Yeah, and, I mean, he's he's struggled a little bit here in the last five or, five or seven games or so. Um, he seemed like he maybe hit a little bit of a rookie wall where that shot was just a little flat. But he, like you said, he, he he processes the game fairly quickly for a rookie. And, you know, he played a little bit of on-ball, a little bit of off-ball at Wichita State. So he had some ability to, like, he came into the league with a little bit of that knowledge of how to navigate a screen, but he's gotten a lot better from that. I think the pairing with Redick, I mean, they are, are pretty attached uh, in practices and off the court. And I think that has helped him navigate the NBA landscape um, and also having a little bit of that point guard, you know, history in him. He also, he has just enough ball handling, just enough, you know, passing and playmaking and, and ability to process what's going around him to then attack a closeout and not be completely one-dimensional. Sixers are a team that are desperate for shooting, especially when you look at Redick, who's now 34. Um, you don't know how many years he's going to be able to play at this level. They need somebody who they can slot in and make shots on a perimeter if they're going to build around uh, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and maybe Jimmy Butler core. Uh, he, If he ends up being a real deal, he would be a great find for them. Yeah, he would, and they certainly need some shooting because they got – yeah, you can run through it. You've heard it many a time that Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, none of them are high-volume accurate three-point shooters. So, uh, yes. Interesting. You know Ben Sh- Ben Simmons doesn't take threes. I have heard that, yeah. I've heard that. That's a thing. Um, I saw that in the internet. <laughs> People talk my, about it. My favorite thing is when announcers will say, like, more last year, because it seemed to happen more last year, but, oh, Ben Simmons is 0 for 9 from 3 on the season. He hasn't he hasn't taken a real legitimate three-pointer. Those are all heaves at the end of the shot clock, end of a quarter. Uh, he took He stepped into a 16-footer with about 15 seconds left on the shot clock, which maybe about a week ago which I would have classified as his first real jump shot. You know, the first one where he wasn't, it wasn't, you know, the clock running down, he had to take a turnaround 15-footer. But the first one where he looked at it and he said, look, we've got a lot of time left on this shot clock. I'm going to take this 16-foot baseline jumper. And just about everybody was stunned at that point. Like the announcers, everybody watching the game, reacting on Twitter. It was a remarkable moment, which is a, not something you normally say about a, a player effectively playing point guard in the NBA. Yeah. So with the Wizards, the Wizards are coming into coming into tonight. The Wizards are fresh off a 18 point blowout of the Thunder on the road. They were still just five and 17 on the road coming into this game. This is their toughest stretch of the season. They had Oklahoma City at Oklahoma City on Sunday. 
Then they had at Philadelphia tonight. They have at Philadelphia again, or at home for Philadelphia, I'm sorry, again on Monday. Or on Monday? Wednesday. I'm messing everything up. Friday. Tomorrow. Yeah. Yes, tomorrow. Yeah. Friday they have Milwaukee. I was going to say, you should probably know that. I'm assuming you're going to that game. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. am. Uh, Friday they have Milwaukee, and then Sunday they have Toronto. That is about as tough of a stretch as you're going to have. I mean, 0-5 looked like a legitimate possibility. If that was going to happen, they were going to be 15-28 and 28 or 15-29 or whatever it was. They won the first one. They won in Oklahoma City, which is one of the toughest ones because it's on the road and Oklahoma City is really good. And you could argue is a better team than Philadelphia if you want to. Uh Tonight, they come in, and they just get their behinds handed to them. And quite honestly, there's not really that much shame in this version of the Wizards. It's really no shame in this version of the Wizards losing in Philadelphia. Like, it's fine. Even if it's a blowout, it's fine. The Sixers are way better than the Wizards, period. Like, that's it. Um, But I think it's the halfway point, and we just kind of have to start looking at, all right, they're three back of the eighth seed. They've got Philly again at home tomorrow. They've got... Like I said, Milwaukee and then Toronto. If they fall to 16 and 28, 16 and 29, and it keeps falling like that, it's going to be. They've, they've maintained around three back of the eight seed. But at some point, it's going to get really hard. As bad as the East is, as bad as that eight seed might end up being with like 39 wins at the end of the year, like they're, 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 they're just digging themselves more and more and more of a hole. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a weird spot because motivations of teams, you always got to look at, well, whose job is on the line. So that, that always drives a lot. When you look at the East, like you said, there's the East is strong this year in the top four or five. You know, once you get kind of past the, you know, Boston, Philly, Indy range, you really start, I think, dropping pretty, pretty quickly in quality. And you start looking at it, and Brooklyn's the eighth seed that you're chasing. Now, I think Brooklyn's done a lot right in their rebuild, especially considering what they didn't have to start off with. But they're not an insurmountable team at this point. Um, and you would know this a lot more than me, but Washington has had success without John Wall in the past. So it's tough because they got off to such a bad start and they have such a bad history or a bad injury now. And like you said, this stretch is coming probably at the worst time because they're going to have to make a decision on what to do on this team immediately after this stretch. Um, they're gonna have a you're gonna have a lot to talk about over the next couple of weeks for sure. Oh yeah, because that's kind of what I'm getting at here. Because the, it is what's the date today? I don't uh, even know the eight, day. Eight. Great. So a, a month from yesterday, that's our trade deadline. Yep. And they're gonna have to choose the direction they want to go. Earlier in the year, the direction that they chose was they were playing for this year. I've said this so many times on this podcast. When you trade a 23 year old upcoming restricted free agent and restricted free agency means you still have some amount of team control on them who could have gotten you back an asset for the future even if we got you a top 55 protected second round pick that's an asset for the future and instead you go for a 33 year old on an expiring deal that is you having patchwork on a team for this year and that's where they were at before and they're going to have to choose a direction now that they know john wall is out for the year and we're going to find out that direction some of it is going to be more complicated because Marquise Morris is going to be out till past the trade deadline, and teams are going to have to waive physicals if they want to get him if they end up trading him, and that complicates a lot of trade negotiations. It's possible, but it's a lot more complicated. Um, 
but they're going to have to choose something. Ariza is flippable. Jeff Green is having actually a really good year, and he's on a minimum contract and can go into a trade exception if you just want to get a, you know, a second-round pick for him or something like that. Some of these guys are, even if it's just guys on the fringes, like I'm not talking about breaking it down and trading Bradley Beal. Um, you know, there are guys on the fringes who are who are dealable and who have some amount of value, and they're going to have to choose a direction. And I, I don't know right now what that direction is going to be. I don't think they're 100% uncertain what that direction is going to be because all the injuries kind of came at them at once, and I think they want to see where they're at because this is a team that this is an organization that prioritizes getting into the playoffs over tanking all things being equal but they're going to have to make a decision quick and if they're 16 and 29 that decision might be a little bit easier you covered a tanking team i covered a team that only tanked um i covered years and years i covered three years of a tanking team um, but by what was amazing about that experience you wouldn't think philadelphia was a city that would accept that and there were certainly some segments of the fan base and the media that didn't accept that. But there was a lot of people that bought into what they were doing because it seemed like there was a light at the end of the tunnel. I think when you look at this team with the contracts on this team, on the Wizards, where are they going? And like, how are they going to fill in the gaps to complement what they have with the limited resources that they have? And I just I don't see – and it's tough to fully rebuild because of John Wall and that contract – and Otto Porter, a guy that a lot of teams would like, but with that contract, like it's going to be hard to get value to really tear this whole thing down. But at some point, it's like you said, yes, they pride themselves in making the playoff, but to what end? Like if they get in the eighth seed, does it does it matter? Like what's what's going to happen this year? And I don't see an easy way out. To me, every year they don't. I think it's just delaying the inevitable. And I do think this is a team that probably should tank. I don't know what their full draft pick situation is. But I, th- I mean, I, I think they should. I think I think rebuilding is a pretty clear direction. It's just, do people have the job security to rebuild? Do people have the stomach for a rebuild? Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. But the top of the East is so strong right now. I, I would prioritize trying to get an identity going forward. I don't know what they're going to do. We'll see. They only play Thomas Bryant seven minutes in the first half. That was a weird thing, by the way. I know there was no transition there in that comment at all. We're going back <laughs> to the game. Uh, but they only played Thomas Bryant seven minutes in the first half. The the thing about them not playing young and, – and I get it. Thomas Bryant went against Embiid and, you know, maybe you feel like you have to go with Mahimi in, in, for parts of the second quarter, which I think Brooks went with Mahimi for about eight in the fraction minutes of the second quarter. And that's that's fine. Mahimi was – he was fine tonight. He was he was Yama Himi. He rebounded okay and all that, but I'm just like at this point I'm like just develop your young guys. Like Yamahimi is gonna give you a, you know exactly what Yamahimi is gonna give you. Some nights he's gonna play a little bit better, some nights is gonna be okay. For the most part, you know exactly what Yamahimi is gonna give you. Thomas Bryant, you've seen some high ceiling moments. And like just play him through that crap. Like just who who cares? Like and I, I, I don't know if I would have been as confident making that statement. And I, I, you probably didn't watch the Sunday game against Oklahoma City. But I don't know if I would have been as, would have been as confident making that statement if it, if it weren't for Sunday's game in Oklahoma City. So he got destroyed by Steven Adams in the first four minutes of that game. Just wrecked. And he got destroyed by Hassan Whiteside on Friday, too. He's not as strong as those guys. It's just very clear. And fundamentally, his pick and roll 
defense is just all off. Like, he backpedals so much, and he gets caught off balance. He just, like, kind of shows when he's supposed to. He kind of doesn't go up as high as he's supposed to because they like to use his mobility in the pick and roll. And and, and it, it gets kind of to, to no man's, that no man's land area of pick and roll defense, and he gets taken advantage of. He's a 21-year-old big man who's a former second-round pick who's played, like, 50 NBA games in his entire career. That's fine. You're on a losing team, like, that's fine. So he gets destroyed by Steven Adams in the beginning of that game. He doesn't play much the rest of the first half, which was a good mid-game adjustment by Scott Brooks. And I'm wondering, like, is Jan Mahimi actually going to start the second half? Because Mahimi was actually playing pretty well, and Bryant was getting killed when he, when he was in there. Bryant went out there and played the second half, and he played so much better. And he wasn't, like, great or anything. But he clearly fought back from getting, like, embarrassed by Steven Adams for, like, a four-minute stretch to start the game. And I thought that was such an encouraging moment for a 21-year-old who could have phoned it in after that, been like, okay, it's not my night. This isn't it. And he punched back. And I think if you have a guy who is going to do that, who's able to adjust mid-game, like, who who has, as as everybody with the Wizards will tell you, who is really competitive, is a really good kid, who plays insanely hard. The thing I love about him is just, like, his motor. You have that guy, just keep throwing him out there. Like, I don't think he's the type who, like, his confidence is going to get killed. Like, just knowing him, he's not that dude who's going to come in and be like, oh, no, guess I can't be here. Like, he thinks he belongs, for sure. So I, I wonder if on nights like this, like, he played 17 minutes and a lot of it was garbage time, just keep running Thomas Bryant out there. If you want to go small fine make that adjustment go small but like i don't know if yon mahimi should be like the guy to go to anymore especially when like you they played okay with bryant on the floor and they were not playing well with Mahimi out there anyway that's the end of my rant develop the guys yeah but i mean i think that's part of of what you were talking about like they've got to figure out which direction they're going in because if you're realistic about this season then, like you said, playing allowing Bryant to play through his struggles has a lot of value. Not only as as uh, in terms of him getting better, but evaluating what he can pick up mid game, evaluating his feel for the game. I think he's I, I think he's probably got a pretty good feel for the game. But you can get more information about the young player you have. You can allow him to adjust and learn on the fly. I think there's a lot of benefits to that. Um, you know, we'll see. Like I said, I, I think they've got to figure out which direction they've got to go because these are the kind of decisions beyond draft pick considerations and and whatnot. These are the kind of things that I think really come into focus at that point. All that said, you want to hear a fun piece of trivia before we wrap up? There you go. You know who leads the Wizards in net rating? The only player on the team who has a who's played a consequential amount of minutes and has a positive net rating. Who's that? Jan Mahimi. So there you go. Hey, there you go. 32-year-old knows what he's doing. (laughs) Yeah, well, so the Wizards tonight, they outscored him 37-28 to in the fourth quarter. The Wizards have the they're twenty fourth in the league in net rating. They're fourth in the league in four they're fourth in the league in fourth quarter net rating, and they have the best fourth of quarter offense in the NBA. There you go. Part of it is garbage time. It, it makes no sense though. I don't know how to figure it out. There's don't even analyze it. There's just <laughs> no way to analyze it. It's just a, one of those stupid things that happens <laughs> in a stupid sport. And that's it. Um tell my readers where they can find all your great stuff before we go. I mean just subscribe to the athletic. Uh, which which I think you would agree with. Um, I do. There, myself, Rich Hoffman, we've got a lot going on in Philly, um, but the athletic, just for everything, for local, for national, for every city, I, th- I think it's worth it. I agree. And uh, Twitter. At Derek Bodner NBA. 
perfect. And uh, you're going to want to follow Derek because uh, he does great, great work on the Sixers. And he's there doing all that Sixers stuff the same way I am with Wizards stuff. Subscribe to Wizards After Dark. Leave a review. I say it all the time. Leave a review. Leave five stars. It's awesome. If you leave me five stars, I will do absolutely nothing for you. But it will <laughs> be super cool if you're willing to do that. Um, I'll be back with another episode in uh, like 24 hours. Second night of a back-to-back. One of those weird home-and-home things. I, I don't. It's such a it's so weird when they do that. But in Philadelphia at night against the 76ers in D.C. on whatever day tomorrow night is. But I'll be podcasting out of that one, too, like always. And I'll talk to you guys then.